want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation and the chapter 3, please. Revelation chapter 3. And we read from the verse, from the verse 14. Down into verse 1, for there shouldn't, in my opinion, be a, a bridge between those two chapters. I think it comes in there at the wrong place, but whatever. Verse 14. Known to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot. Now notice, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. And when he reiterates something as quick as a flash as that, then you need to take three times. He mentions this, cold, this church being neither cold nor hot. He says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, Knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What an awesome description. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet, talking with me which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne was set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper, a sardine stone, 
and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like onto an emerald. You never saw a green rainbow, but there's a green rainbow one day coming. You never saw a full circled rainbow either, but you're going to see a green full circled rainbow round the earth one day. We know the Lord will bless to us the public reading of his word. Is the Lord coming back? And if he is, will it be long? That's the question that was asked to me by a broken-hearted, distraught, weeping widow as she walked up and down between the coffins of her husband and two sons, killed in an awful accident. With her arms round my neck in the midst of the coffins, she said, Bertie, Will it be long till he comes? Well, I said in answer to your first question, he will come. But how long will it be? I don't know. It may not be very long. I have often ran that over my mind that day, from that day. The only reason I can get that she asked me those questions was for consolation that the day might be hastened when she would see her husband and two boys again. Isn't it wonderful we can sing that hymn, there'll be no sorrow there and no burdens to care. Last Wednesday night, on the first message entitled From Here to Eternity, I outlined the first and the next step as far as the Church of Jesus Christ is concerned. The very next event that could happen at any moment, nothing to be fulfilled for it to happen, is the rapture and the snatching out and the taking away of every true born-again believer dead and alive across the earth. It's going to be a momentous day. Paul says it's going to happen in a moment, in the twinkling or the gleam of an eye, quicker than the tick of a clock, than the beat of your heart, of the taking of a step, of the toll of a bell, he says, I will come quickly behind the screen. It's going to be an awesome day. It's going to be the day of the evacuation of men, women, and children across the the nations of the world. And in just one moment of time, those living, those dead, will be lifted out from this blood-stained, tear-stained, sin-stained, fear-stained 
godless world that which we live in. We're going to be translated in a moment of time. And we're going to be translated into a new city, a mansion, a home, a house, eternal in the heavens, where the streets are paved with gold, where there'll be no more tears and no more crying, when there'll be no more separation. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. The exodus in Egypt, uh, we reckon three million evacuated from Egypt will be Mickey Mouse stuff. The return of thousands of Jews from Babylon under Cyrus and Ezra will be Mickey Mouse stuff compared to this. All the millions that were evacuated in World War II and the retreat from Ukraine that you see happening tonight will be nothing in significance to this. Oh, the chaos. Oh, the moment, the hour when that strikes. When Jesus comes to take us home. Planes and trains and ships and cars and lorries will go out of control. United Airlines in America some years ago uh, put in a prohibition that the, either the pilot or the co-pilot had to be a Christian to charter the planes. They believe in him coming. Mothers will stop walking along the road with a buggy to turn around to fix the blanket and the, the child will be gone. The blankets will not be touched the duvet will not be moved. The clothing will just be the same as it was in the tomb. He doesn't want our clothes. Not here. He's not a ragman. The stents will come out and the rings will fall. And the false teeth. And everything else that we're made up of. What does he want with those things? And the gold and the teeth, he doesn't want them, so the streets are paved with. Millions of conversations will end in mid-sentence. Millions. The big smartphones will drop to the floor. Everything's smart now. Children will come home from school and they'll Say, Mom, where are you? And Mom will not be there. Dad will not be there. A man or a woman will waken in the morning and put their foot over to see is their wife or their husband there, but they'll not be there. The Bible says two shall be sleeping in the bed. One shall be taken and the other left. Two shall be grinding in the mill at the factory. I hope you have a testimony in the factory. I hope the one working beside you that you're talking with every day knows you're saved. One shall be taken and the other left too in the field. The farmer plowing. The sportsman batting. 
the groundsman cutting. The news on that day, my friend, will the news of these days and what you're seeing on every news channel now will fall into nothing. This awesome, mighty event that came so suddenly and the whole world will be in chaos and in steps the Antichrist. And we're going to deal with that some night. You should you keep coming. The world, the scene has been set tonight for the Antichrist. After this whole thing in Russia is over, it'll be over one way or another. Once it'll be over, they'll, <laughs> they'll need only the boy. Last week I showed you the best I could the rapture from the scripture. I illustrated it in the scripture with six illustrations. I illustrated it in the scripture. We saw it illustrated. We saw it promised by the Lord. We saw it explained by Paul. Do you know that one in every 25 verses in the New Testament is regarding the Lord coming back? Can you tell me that that's preached proportionally today in our churches? There's only one other doctrine that's heavier and more essential and more spoke of, and that's the atonement on the cross of the gospel. Before I go on to show you this second next thing that's going to happen when the church is raptured, and that is the judgment seat of Christ, which is going to happen immediately after. Both, both could happen before midnight, where the believers will go and stand, every one will stand before God and give an account. And it's a very serious business. There's a text up at the corner there and it says, prepare to meet thy God. That was that, that, that there was not spoken by the prophet of God to the unsaved. Oh, we can preach it to the unsaved. Same as the text here, behold, I stand at the door and knock. We preach that, that, this is to the church, it's not to the unsaved. Prepare to meet thy God. I hope you're saved tonight and I hope you're ready to go. But remember this, you're going to meet God. And if ever people needed teaching on preparation for the judgment seat, just don't think now because you got saved and all is well and you're singing hymns and you're going to meetings and the life has changed and is great and is good. I tell you, the Lord saved you for a purpose. And for that purpose, there's an accountability. There's an accountability. So we need to prepare. And you prepare your heart and you read and I and get into those scriptures and I'll be preaching. I'll be starting on the judgment seat next week. I'm not talking about the great white throne judgment at the end of the age for every sinner that rejected Christ. I'm talking about the Bema. Where the prizes are given out at the end of the race. Where there's five crowns to be won. 
Five crowns, my friend. And we'll deal with each crown. And whenever we get the crowns, we will just lay them, we will lay them at Jesus' feet because they're from him anyway. We'll give them back to him. Give him back everything. Who we want with them. But they're there. Paul says, let no man take, or the word of God as Revelation says, let no man take thy crown. I, I hope that you'll not be in heaven and there'll be somebody wearing the crown that you should have wore. But you footed about with materialism and houses and cars and money and sin. You never took it serious. You'll give account one day. Remember this. Big business to be saved. Big business to be saved. So before we go on to the judgment seat, which we will not get touching tonight, I want to do number four in this because I only did illustrate it in the scripture, the rapture promised by the Lord, explained by Paul. But here in Revelation, in these verses that we read, it was witnessed by John. John the Apostle witnesses in a vision. John the Apostle was 90 years of age about at this time. He was the oldest of the apostles. He was incarcerated on the island of Patmos for the word of the Lord and for the testimony of the Lord. And the Lord in the vision took this old saint of God and brought him up, took him upright into heaven in a vision to show him the state of the church on the last days. He took him to show him the state of the churches down through the ages because there's seven churches in Asia Minor and the Lord Jesus wrote to every one of them and every one of them depicts a period from Pentecost to now. We're in the Laodicean one now. That's the last of them. I can prove that to you. In fact, I proved it to you in the reading. Come up hither. When this church was over, it was all over. So every church has a, has, a, has, a, has a section where he wrote to seven, seven, he wrote to the seven churches. And John in this vision saw the door open and he heard the trumpet sound and he heard the voice and he heard the shout, come up hither. Come up hither. Chapter 4 and verse 1 at the end. Come up hither. That's the rapture. That's the church going up. And then to the presence of the Lord. You never read of the church after that in Revelation. The millennials can twist it about and do all the like with it. You'll never read of the church after that. Read of Israel. You'll read of the Gentiles and you'll read of the Jew. You'll not read of the church. No, you'll not read of the Spirit again speaking. The Spirit saith unto the churches. Spirit's over. Oh, if only we would get a hold and get a grip of that. He says, I will show these things which must be hereafter. And God in his grace has shown us these things that's going to yet come. And the tribulation and all that's going to happen right down to the end, to the, to, to, to the new heaven and the new earth where we're speaking with Peter. Everything's recorded here. John saw the vision and penned it here for us. Oh, praise God for this book. 
Praise God for this book. After the evacuation will be the examination. And both I say and I emphasize this, this is how near we are to the end. We are very, very close to the end. It's very important and imperative that we look at the church in the latter hours before it's raptured. And this is the Laodicean church. That's you and that's me. How God sees us tonight, how he sees his beloved bride and his church tonight is in these verses that we have read. The church of Laodicea. Now let me say a few things about this before we go on with these verses. He's writing, John's writing these verses as he's dictated to by the Lord, speaking to John, write, he says, write, and write the seven churches of Asia Minor. And each one of these churches he addressed to the angel of the church. The angel of the church. And you read the seven churches starting a chapter or so before that in Revelation. The angel of the church. Now, there's not many people call me an angel. <laughs> they call me anything but. But the Lord does. Because Revelation 1 and 20, if you take time to study it, I'm giving you these scriptures that you can learn. Revelation 1 and 20 told the seven stars, the seven churches in his hand. And each church has a leader, has a pastor, has an elder. And the angel is just the messenger, the leader, the elder. I'm the angel. So there's, there's four elders in this church, and we're the leaders of this church. That's who he writing to, first of all. You see, it has to start at the pulpit. It has to start at the top. And he's writing to the leaders and to the messengers and to the elders and to the rulers of the church. And that's a very, very serious thing, let me tell you. Because we are four elders here and we are called of God without a doubt to be the elders in this assembly. And we are responsible for this church. And the church is not the building. The church is the ecclesia, the people of God. We are the leaders, are responsible for it. Not the Sunday school teachers, not the deacons, but the elders of the church. And what goes on in this church is our responsibility. And who comes into this pulpit is our responsibility. Because we will have to give an account. The word of God says, I will have to give an account at the judgment seat of Christ how I handled this for 33 years and that scares me. scares me. It's not the deacons and it's not the Sunday school teachers and it's not the organists and it's not 
It's not the women. There's nothing else. It's we, the, we are the ones that he holds responsible. Now I want you to notice this. Of five of the other churches, he says the church in Smyrna, in Sardis, in Thyatira, but he says here, and I want you to notice this in verse 1, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. He doesn't say the church in Laodicea. Do you know why that is? He is pulled out of it. It's their church now, it's not his. You hold on to that. He's outside the door now. He's outside the door of the church just before the rapture. And that's why if we don't get a Holy Ghost revival in the West, we're in great trouble. He's outside the door. He's knocking and champing at the door and he'll not, get, he'll not let him in. He's trying to get a message over to us and I trust that I don't know how many watching these, but I trust that I can get a message out to leaders and to ministers and to churches in this last hour. He's outside the door. He says, it's your church now, it's not mine. He didn't say that about the rest of them. Do you know the name Laodicea means? Leo, Leo means people. Decea means rule. To put the both of them together, the people are ruling. It's democracy. God's church is not a democracy. It's theocracy. It's God. You see what you see, you see what's happening here. Men that are running the whole show, you see. Deacons and voting and elders. I have no time for voting. No time at all for it. Well, we don't in this church. It must be very, very, very exceptional circumstances. There should be spiritual men that God can communicate to. We don't need some members meeting when some carnal boy comes in and he's never at a prayer meeting. And he jukes about and he's hardly in on a Sunday night and come in on the members meeting and start to take a vote. Well, his business for he's never near the place. God, these people here, it was the men, the people were ruling the church. The rule of the church is theocracy, it is God. And men and women should be spiritual enough to wait and get before God and to know, Lord, will we bring this man to the pulpit? Will we have this man for a mission? Will we do this and will we do that and will we do the other? Lord, will you show us? Some boys getting in and coming in and ruling and running and saying we'll do this. It'll be a good idea. It doesn't matter whether it's a good idea or not. Oh, it'll be a good idea. We're not interested in ideas. Are you in touch with God when you're making these statements? People come and get a letter through the barn one day from, boy, I want to preach here. 
Hasn't preached yet. We we need to get the, from God. This is the problem in this Laodicea day of the church. This men, men and people are running the church and God's outside the door, but they don't know it. And they try to rip it up with choruses and they try to rip it up with singing and they try to rip it up with crowds and they try to rip it up in a hundred ways, but God's not there. It doesn't work. Verse 14 again. On to the angel of the church of the Laodicea and writes, your church, not mine. These things saith the Amen. Amen. When he says Amen, that's final. That's what that means, it's final. When you finish your prayer, you say Amen, that's final. And the faithful, he's faithful. See, he's final, it's final. And the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, that doesn't mean that he was the beginning of creation. It means that he is the creator. We're not expounding that sort of stuff tonight. We're just coming down the verses. The beginning of the creation. I know thy works. Man, he does. You're going to hear about that next week. And your thoughts too. He says, I know thy works. That thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot. What an awesome bit of Vic he rubs in there. You see, he knows all things and he sees all things. His eyes look over everything and overlook nothing. I'll say that again. The eyes of the Lord overlook everything, but overlook nothing. There's nothing hid from the flaming eyes of the mighty Savior, eyes of fire. This verse 15 and verse 16, I would say are two of the most awesome verses. Certainly, as far as the church of Jesus Christ is concerned. Are we proud to be numbered among these faithful? Well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Look at it, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot. I will spew thee out of thy mouth. Now the NIV translation is completely wrong. And it's mistranslated many things wrong too. So if you want a good Bible, get a good King James version. Because the NIV says here that he spat out. Well, I'll tell you there's a difference spitting out. There's a difference in spitting out and spewing out. Man, you could spit something out in a second and away you go. But there's a different thing. Do you ever go over this? Do you ever reach over, over the sink and, and you're booking? 
and nothing will come up and you're retching and you're contorting and your whole body's shaking. That's what this means. So does me. Can you imagine our Lord Jesus Christ and looking down upon the church today in Northern Ireland and he's boking and he's spewing out of his mouth. Why? Well, they're not on fire, you see. God loves people on fire. He loves the church on fire. He loves the church reality, in reality. He loves the church in power. He loves the church in praise. He loves to hear a good hearty praise and a good hearty prayer and a good hearty lifting to God. He loves that. That's his nature. He loves it. He loves to see a church on fire, excited about the things of God. Are you excited tonight? In the prayer meeting, can't open your eyes. Are you excited? You see, if we're studying and meditating upon the word of God and the things of God and all his love and all his goodness, I tell you, we should be getting excited. We should be getting excited with the fact that we're going to go home soon some of these days. No, no, this is not a spitting out. This is, this is convulsions. This is retching. This is how he sees the spiritual state of the church of Laodicea, the church run by people God outside the door. This is what he says. And he can't stick. stick. Increased with goods and they have need of nothing, he says. This, this was the wealthiest city of all the churches. This was the wealthiest church of all the seven churches. In AD 60, there was an earthquake and it flattened the whole the whole. Of City of Laodicea, and they built it all themselves out of penny borough. Increased with goods, plenty of goods. Look at the church today. We're big churches, and we're big Baptists, and we're big crowds, and we're everything big, and God's the wee boy. We're the big boy, and God's the wee boy. Increased with goods and, and have need of nothing. We don't need anything. We don't need anything. We have three or four hundred in on a Sunday morning. We have a lovely wee preacher on Sunday morning. We don't we have money in the bank and we're given to the missionaries. We don't need anything. He says, I'm sick of you. I'm sick of you. The soul specialized salve. The manufactured and were the creators of a special eye salve, a pharmaceutical medicine, that was marketed right over the world for the curing of blindness. The land was so good that they produced black sheep with black shining wool that was sought right across the world as well. They were very wealthy. I haven't time tonight, but that has a lot to do with carnality. It has a lot to do with lethargy. Increased with goods. 
I say every day when I'm praying to the Lord, Lord, I'm not after houses, I'm not after cars, I'm not after money. Doesn't mean anything. Boy, if we could get our focus right here. You see, they were in a they're in a very, very sad materialistic state. Don't need anything. We're all right. Do you know a good dose of poverty would do us all good? A good famine. Put us to our knees. Put us to our knees. But you not only see this material state, but you see the deceitful state. Now this is the bit I want to hit. They're deceitful, hypocritical church because they're middle of the road. They're neither hot or they're neither cold. Now you give me a cold drink on a hot day and that's lovely. Give me a hot drink on a cold day and that's lovely. But don't give me a lukewarm drink any day. It would make you sick. Vance Habner says they were too good to be bad and too bad to be good, and only he could put that like that. I was at a funeral one day and I met this retired chief superintendent from the police, and I said to him, I said, George, I haven't seen you for years. And I knew him, and I worked with him, and I knew rightly that he had no time for God and the things that he did and said. But the sister had, and the sister was a saved woman. She used to come here, and we were at her funeral. And I says, George, how, how, how are things with you? But he says, Bertie, I'm not the worst of men, and I'm not the best of men. <laughs> That's a queer lady to see boy, that. Not the worst but I'm not the best. Now that'll get you off fully. Well, he's, well, then he's lukewarm. And the Lord can spew him out. Oh, our wee man, he's a lovely wee man. You ever hear the matter? Oh, our wee man about on me. He says every Sunday morning it's like the closing night of the mission. I want to hear him one day. I didn't hear him mission. Our wee man, lovely man. We're out in a half an hour on Sunday morning. He's, he's, he tells a great story to the children. Mm-hmm. We all love him. We give him 3,000 3, pounds a month in the mass. And a pension that the children don't. Oh, he's a great man. He's a great organizer. He's a great everything else. I tell you this, my friend. He's the most dangerous man in the country. Dean Weaver says, a lukewarm minister sends more people to hell than anything else. 
He sends more people to hell than the drugs and the pubs and the pornography. Job says he's a physician of no value. He's a forger of lies. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. George Campbell Morgan says lukewarmness is the worst form of blasphemy. A boy to make out he's something and he's not. Half-hearted. What does he care about souls going to hell when he's going himself? A form of godliness, Paul says, and from such turn away. What would you think of a fireman coming if your house was on fire and your children were trapped in it? What would you think of him stopping to buy a burger on the way out? What would you think of the surgeon in the middle of an operation that he'd leave you bleeding and go and take his coffee? What would you think of of me and Roy and Adrian in this church? We came for one meeting a week and we didn't care whether you were saved or we didn't care whether we prayed or we didn't care. You wouldn't be long about it and you wouldn't need to be. Get out. God's looking for men of fire. He's looking for men of zeal. He's looking for real men. He's looking for men who's not, who's not, who's not lukewarm. He says, I'll spew you out. I need men on fire. We need men on fire in these last days. We need you in fire in the prayer meeting. We need you in fire in your work. Jesus is coming. If there's any place where power and fire and zeal is needed, it's in the church. It's in the ministers. It's in the elders. It's in the pew. The people will be attracted and they'll come and they'll say, I want what that man has. I'm sick of death and carnality. The material state and the deceitful state and the pitiful state. Yes, it was a pitiful state. Look at the five awful things as we come to a close. Thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and you know not that you are wretched. I wonder, does that, friend, listen, don't be looking at others tonight. Does that describe you and me? Have we any fire about us at all? Do we spend more time watching soaps and watching television and doing deals and doing things and give God a wee bit at the end? You're lukewarm. Those are five awful things that the risen Lord pronounces upon the church just on the eve of the rapture. Because down a couple of verses come up hither. I tell you, there's going to be. You know what it says in the Bible? He shall wipe away all tears. That's in heaven. I thought there was no tears in heaven. I wonder what it be at the judgment seat. He says, you're wretched. 
Boy, the Holy Spirit can describe something. And you're miserable. And you're poor, spiritually, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold. What does the gold speak? The gold. You get the concordance and see how many times gold speaks of the word. You don't have to buy, but it's costly. Now, listen to me. You can't buy salvation, sir. By grace are you saved through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And you can't buy restoration. It has to come from God. But it's costly. It's costly to get back. I counsel thee, buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment, that's talks about righteousness, that thou mayest be reclosed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anointed eyes, he's using the metaphor with the eyesalve that they had and that made them so rich. He says, and anoint thine eye with eyesalve, which speaks of the Holy Spirit, that thou mayest see. Now the next verse, as many as I love, listen, the Lord still loves you. And he still loves me. No matter how far or wretched and miserable and blind we are, he still loves us. But he says, I rebuke you, and you have got to take the rebuke. You see, people don't want to be rebuked today, and when we preach like this, we're the worst in the world. We need to be rebuked. The church needs to be rebuked tonight. Pastors and ministers and elders need to be rebuked tonight. We're having the masks off until they see big signs up for cruises. Not that the masks weren't on the ground. The Lord organizing big holidays at 3,000 and 4,000 pounds to cruise. I'll tell you this, the judgment of God is on us. Oh, that's fierce talk. You wouldn't expect me to preach anything other than what the Lord would show me. He says, get into the word. It's going to be costly now. This is going to be costly. It's going to be costly. And I'll tell you, he makes it more costly. Look at verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke, and I chasten. And he has to chasten us. Be zealous, therefore. There's the word, zealous. Be on fire, therefore, and repent. It's costly to repent. Are you with me? It's costly to repent. And here's this awesome verse that we preach to the sinners all the time. It's nothing to do with sinners. We can preach it, and I do. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Still love you. I'm sick all day of you, but I love you. Any man. 
See, he's not after the crowds now. No, no, he's not after the crowds. If any man hear my voice, that's discernment. Tell me. Did you hear his voice today? And be honest, is it long since you heard his voice, sir? Because I'll tell you this, you'll only hear his voice because the end of this verse says, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. That's the supper. That's the last meal of the day. That's it all over. Come up home. I will sup, now watch what it says, with him. And he with me. I will sup with him and he will sup with me. That's communion. That's fellowship back and forward. And when you have fellowship and you're in and you've opened the door and you've said, Lord, here am I. I don't care how costly it is. I don't care what has happened, Lord. All I want, Lord, is communion, and all I want is fellowship with you, and then you'll read, then you'll overcome. Verse 21, to him that overcometh. Will I grant to sit with me in my throne? You'll get victory over the sin and over the lust. You'll get victory, and you'll get power when you're in communion with him. You're talking to him, he's talking to you, and you're doing that every day. This is where I would like to think that God will break through and revive. If there was enough people in the West, if there was enough people in this church who met these requirements and got in before God, get excited about the prayer meeting. Are you excited about the prayer meetings? Get excited about following the Lord. And I believe that if we go in and sup with him and he sups with us and we have communion together and fellowship one with another together, then we will be, and we're prepared to pay the price and repent and to take the rebuke and to take the chastening and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, forgive me. Then he says, to him that overcomes. That's where the overcoming will come. When you're in the word. And in fellowship with him. That's when the. That's when the victory will come. And this is where I believe. I say again. that God could revive and move through. If he gets enough of us like that. He'll burst through. And he'll rapture. A glorious bride. And the trumpet shall sound and the shout shall come. Come up hither and into the presence of the Lord. And it could happen tonight. And then, there's the review. And then there's the rewards. And on we go as far as the church is concerned. And we'll do a couple of nights on the church in heaven. 
and we'll go back. Because once we go with the Antichrist, we'll just step out. And they're preparing the scene big time from tonight. We're near the end. Church is on its way out. The Lord's on his way back. You see it. You're ready. Are you living right? May God help us. May God help us to study the scripture and to say, Lord, I don't want to be part of it. I pray most days, Lord, I don't want to nauseate you. I don't want to make you sick. I don't want to be rewarded. How or why should we be lukewarm and tepid with the mighty truths that we have and what Christ has done for us at Calvary? My friend, when you think of Gethsemane, Gibbath and Golgotha and the hammerings and the smitings and the spittings and the woundings of my lovely Savior for me, Calvary covers it all. Call to him, I believe. Bless his lovely name tonight. I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to hurt him. I wouldn't want to grieve him. I wouldn't want to hinder him. Never mind make him sick. Oh God, forgive us. Let us pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive me, Lord. For an old carnal, cold attitude, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, for making you second place in my life. Come, Holy Spirit, and cleanse me afresh. Lord, I'm open for rebuke tonight. I'm open for chastening tonight. I'm ready to repent tonight, Lord, of things that I've said and done. God, help us. Come, Holy Spirit, tonight. Those here are listening or watching that are not saved, Lord, we pray tonight that they'll turn to Jesus. Oh, God, may we well answer the question. Thou will soon come again. We're looking to that day, Lord. But, oh, God, help us to live right for thee. For Jesus' sake, amen.